Well, you might be looking around this morning and feeling like, who are all these new people? And the reality is, is some of them just been coming to church here in Stony Plain, and some of you are from Spruce Grove location, and here we are together in this service and in the 12 o'clock, in the 6 o'clock tonight, for a season of time as we look forward to what God wants to do. So, you know, why don't you turn to your neighbor on your left and say, welcome to church. And why don't you turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm glad you made it. All the way from Spruce Grove, I'm glad you made it to Stony Plain. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, personally, I just want to welcome everyone from each location this morning. And we're glad that we get to be together. And this is going to be a challenge and a, a work on all our behalf to get to know more people and to be friendly and generous in our actions and words towards one another as we unify together for this season. I believe God's going to bring a strength and a fresh uh, pro propelling into the future for Spruce Grove and Stony Plain as we're together. And so we're excited about that, but welcome this morning. Um, I do want to make one announcement before we get into the word, and that's uh, for all our kids volunteers. You all deserve special crowns in heaven. And uh, <laughs> come on, it's, it's when people serve, you know, Jesus said, don't, don't stop the little ones from coming to me. And, and so we want to make every way possible for kill, children and youth, uh, children, we're not going to, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that to anyone, um, for children and youth to experience Jesus. Uh, but if you're on the list and you've been volunteering, we really need you to update your information because if we don't have your proper email or phone number, um, we can't schedule together. And we're trying to make it easier on everyone, especially with the coming together of two locations. So if you're already on the list, you know who Randy and Crystal are, and you can talk to them afterwards, and you can update your information. Just check with them that your information is correct. And we need, my wife is telling me, everyone who has kids, so if you don't have kids, you don't have to listen to this, but if you have kids in kids ministry, you have to update your information too. So like today and next Sunday, there's, there's forms out there. Um, what we want to do is we just want to make sure that we can harass you and rope you into kids ministry. No, we're not going to do that. Um, but if you, if you want to be involved, I mean, uh, you can talk to someone at the table out there after service. So that's all I have to say about that for right now, um, because in the shuffle of everything, how many would say kids are important, them meeting Jesus is important, so we can take a few minutes out of the sermon to talk about how our kids can experience Jesus and thank the leaders that, uh, that are involved in that area of ministry. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, new series this morning called The Subtle Art of Living by Faith. Living by faith. I need to be able to see what I'm preaching. I had one young adult pastor that, he was a hilarious guy, and he, he always said, some of you look so disappointed and sad, you just need a faith lift. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's very cheesy. But here I am, 10 years later, using his same joke, and it kind of works now, dad jokes. 
They look good on me with my 16-year-old boy mustache that I'm trying to grow right now. So it's not a mistake. We're just trying something new, but it's not working out very well. Some things are big wins, and some things are just like, ah, we tried, and uh, we move on from it. As we enter this new series, um, and as we now have become one church with three locations, and not only like three to 400 people, we're talking like 16 to 1,800 people on any given week, I think there are steps of faith we have made and steps of faith that God is going to continue to ask us to make so we can do the things that he's called us to do as individuals but collectively as a church. And we don't do these things on our own. We, we don't think that as leaders we're so good that this just happens because we've done a good job. No, we understand that there is a walk of faith that happens as we come together as a community and as we follow Jesus one step at a time, that leads us into something beyond anything we could ever do on our own. And, you know, so as we go through this series, we're going to take a look at some visuals, um, some art, some uh, different experiences to kind of talk about what does it look like to live by faith? What is the grand picture of faith? Because faith is not a concrete, linear concept. If you're a logical thinker like me and you're like, I want three points, nice steps, this is how you follow God one step at a time, A plus B equals C, and we'll get there eventually. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I've served God a long time. I've desired to follow him in ministry leading, in my vocation, in my family, and um, I'm nowhere today where I thought I would be, and the twists and turns and the things that God has done that add up to what is now really don't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I've made a decision to follow Jesus by faith, and some of you are like, that's scary. Maybe I don't want this. No, you do want it, but you have to learn how to live by faith, and we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3 starts like this. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. And by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we see now did not come from anything that can be seen. Now, to simply go back to the very beginning of creation and understand that everything that exists and is seen now was formed because of the spoken word of a God that we cannot see, I would say that takes a little bit of faith to lean into that. But if we go to verse 39 in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this big long list. It's known as the great chapter of faith. And it ends like this. It says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Then this is a verse that if we've been in church any amount of time, you know chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. But we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. The champion who initiates and he perfects our faith. 
Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we open your word week after week, but God, hopefully it's for us day after day in our own relationship with you. You still speak. You want to lead us. You want to talk with us. You want us to know what it is to live a life of faith with you. And I just pray that as we dive into this series and as I share from your word over these next few minutes that even in my own heart that something would come alive about what you want to do in us and through us in our individual lives, families, but as a church. Because God, we want to bring glory and honor to your name. And we want to do all the things that you've laid before us with excitement and faith in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. So whether we talk about painting, sculpting, creating, home building, interior design, um, any other art form that we see in the world, something that we recognize and people who are creative realize that is the subtle fine points and details that actually makes certain pieces stand out from the rest. Now, I'm not a huge art connoisseur, so this isn't really my strong suit in this series on like, let's take something artistic and let's explain it to people. I'm like, no, no, tell me how to follow Jesus and I, I wanna do that and that's where my heart is and don't give me some abstract answer of what it means and hope for the best. But what I do know and what I do understand a little bit is home design. I mean, six renovations in 16 years of marriage, and I'm still married happily, um, would attest that we've learned some things over the years. And, and I find it funny that uh, uh, realtors would tell you this, that sometimes when people walk into a house, they, they can't tell you why they like it or they don't like it, or they'll walk up and be like, I really like the light at the front entrance. And it's like they buy the house because of that. Or it's like these subtle little details, like something drew them in. And sometimes when a house goes from uh, being uh, not renovated to renovated, the finer details, like I can tell you, like the profile of a door when you walk into a house, some of you don't know this, but you literally check out and think a house is dated because the door profile is dated. Like it's a simple change for like 1500 bucks that like, you would think it's a totally different house. But some people, we don't see those subtleties, but it's in the subtleties of life and of art that makes certain things stand out from the rest. Sometimes you see something, and you're like, I'm just drawn to that, and I like something about that, and I can't tell what it is, but it draws me in. And that's what the artist is trying to do. But this, I believe, is the way that God works in our lives. See, we tend to lean into the questions like this. Well, what is faith? What does faith look like? How do we live out our faith? And those are good questions, and those are things that we hope to answer to some degree. But I would venture to say this morning that some of the greatest moments of faith that we see in this book, in Scripture, the greatest moments of moves of faith that we think, man, that person was such a person of faith, they did incredible things of God, I think most of those things started with the subtle obediences to the voice of God in their life. And it was the subtle details of how they walked with God and followed God that shaped them and made them into men and women known as men and women of great faith. 
because there was something in their heart that said, when God asks me to make the subtle adjustments, the finer turns, the small obediences in my life, they kept following Jesus. You see, in Scripture, some of the outrageous acts were probably more because of the subtle acts of obedience than the actual act of faith that we think happens in the Scripture. And art comes in all forms, and one of my favorite forms is some would argue that storytelling is not art, but I would say it is. There's something about a good story, and so I want to tell you a story this morning. You know, I drove my kids around all day to birthday parties yesterday, and I had lunch with my father-in-law and my wife, and then I took my kids to music lessons, and then I went home and worked on this sermon for an hour, and then I went to friends for dinner, and then I came home and I worked on this sermon until I went to bed, and then I'm here today. And you'd be like, that is a really horrible story. Like, what's so important about that? Nothing. So we know that when a story is a good story, it draws us in. So now let me tell you another story about Pastor Sebastian. And you don't know, it's not all of you know him, but I had a picture that ends the story, but my wife said it might be a little inappropriate. Because I don't know if you want to see one of your pastors with their shirt off on the screen, but... One day when he was an intern of mine, it was the summertime between probably his third and fourth year Bible college or just when he finished Bible college. And we were texting one day and he's like, Pastor Jeremy, I have a story for you. I said, okay, tell me this story. And he goes, just trust me, hang in there with us. And he, he, he starts texting me this story. He goes, so, you know, I'm working a landscaping job right now. I'm like, yeah, Seb, I know you're working a landscaping job. Good for you. Like, you know, you're outside, it's hot, whatever, and he, he, he's like, yeah, but like today, it was so good, I was up early, I was on time, um, we were getting lots of work done, it's been a nice day, and so I got up, and I made sure I got dressed, and I put on uh, my shorts, and my tank top, and uh, my shoes, and I put sunscreen on, and I'm getting ready for work, and then I went to work, and it was just a brutal day, laying sod, and we got it all done, but he said, but then at lunchtime, it got, started getting hot, and I, I was like, well, I just need to work with my shirt off. I'm like, Seb, this is a dumb story. Like, where are you going with this? And he says, well, when I send you the picture, you'll see. He says, because when I put sunscreen on, I put it on after I put my clothes on. And I said, okay. So he says, I kind of have a problem right now. And I'm like, well, what's your problem? He goes, well, I'm so sore everywhere, and it hurts to wear a shirt now. And I'm like... Okay, well, whatever, you just got somewhere. He goes, no, but I was wearing a tank top, and I put sunscreen up to here and up to here, and he sends me this picture with a reverse sunburn where he was pink in the shape of a tank top on his upper body. His arms were white. His sock lines were white were from his knees, but, like, his upper body was bright pink straps, suntan. I'm like, dude, you got a reverse sunburn. And he's like, I know. And he says, so now, I, he's like, are we, are we having a youth beach day anytime soon? I'm like, I might plan one just so you have to walk around with no shirt on, right? And, and, and there's something that draws you in, and the unexpected outcome is what makes a story great. The twists and turns and the things that you don't see coming, because sometimes a story can be like, Hey, this is pointless. Where is this going? What does this have to do with the message? Well, I'm just telling you this. Nothing. Nothing besides the fact that we all love a good story. 
Storytelling, if you ask me, can be an art form. It can draw you in. It can make you feel a part of something. It can make you feel like you know someone or they know you just by how you relate to them. But we have to remember that when it comes to our relationship with God and it comes to this book, this is what God did with humanity. Rather than God saying, you don't have a choice to follow me, I created you, I'm sovereign, I'm over everything. He says, no, 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 I'm going to start writing a story and I want you to be a part of it. And I want to invite you into my story. You can choose your own story and you can choose your own way and you can choose to live however you want. But I have a story that I'm writing and I'm going to invite you in and if you would step into my story, you'll be shocked and amazed and surprised at what can happen in your life. And this was the story of humanity, the story of creation. And the crazy thing is, is that God invited us in, and it's a story that's so much bigger than you think. Because sometimes we read this book, and we read the Word of God, and we're like, well, that's great that it's the story of a whole bunch of people's lives. But I want you to understand today, and something we need to get our eyes back on as believers and as a church, is that book is not a set of rules, but rather it is the story of God and His relationship to humanity and something that we get to be a part of. And it's not over yet. It's far from over. It's bigger than you think. Let me explain this. Because when you go to read your Bible and you say, well, I don't understand You know, Genesis, there's some good stories, some good principles. People make mistakes. God loves them, forgives them. God corrects them. All of these things, like, what does it have to do with me? It's a story. It shows how God interacts with humanity. And it starts in the book of Genesis. It starts with the beginning. It starts with a God who creates everything out of nothing. He speaks the word and he forms the earth and he brings it together. And in the culmination of creation, he creates humanity. And he says, this is the person. These are the beings that I want to rule and reign over everything that I've created, but I want them to have a choice. I want them to have free will, and I want them to be able to choose relationship with me, because God wanted relationship. And so he starts this story, and it starts out well, but we only get about three chapters into Genesis before we realize that because we had the ability to choose and write our own story, we kind of screwed it up big time. We kind of made a mess and kind of made a mistake. And so then the story moves on and it becomes so full of relational up and downs. It becomes full of sin and separation from God. But yet the heart of God in all of it is still his heart to pursue humanity and say, just come back close. Come back into my story and I'll do something new and different and incredible in your life. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see all these great men and women of faith, and we're going to talk about some of them in a minute, but we see this story involves all types of characters. I mean, God doesn't exclude people from his story. He's got kings and priests and prostitutes and tax collectors and people who were deceitful to their own family and crooked, twisted people that become good people and murderers who become preachers. And God starts doing something and he's showing us something in the book that says there's nothing that can't change when you step into my story through Jesus. And so God sends Jesus in what we know the New Testament and he comes and he lives among us. He lives like us. 
he identifies with the humanity that he, God wants relationship with. And he pays the price for us so we can be close with God again. So we can live as a part of that story. And a lot of people stop here. And they say, well, if you asked where the culmination of scripture is in the story of God, they say, well, it's at Jesus. His death, burial, and resurrection. I would argue to say, no, that's simply a recalibration and a restoration and a resetting point of God's plan and purpose to have relationship with you and me. Because Jesus invites us in. Jesus brings us into an identification with the Father that loves us. He brings us into a relationship, how we can access God through Jesus. And, and even when Jesus leaves this earth, he leaves us a mission and a mandate to invite other people into the story of God. You see, the book didn't end with Revelation. Revelation is not the end because Revelation is actually a future picture. And it's not this apocalyptic doom and gloom. It's actually, if you read the first verse of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it is the passion of a God who loves us and is coming back for us and wants what's best for us and his desire for his people and victory over sin and death and all the things that pull us away from God and separate us. It's the picture of the final battle when the hero makes his final victory. But I would argue that the story is still unfolding. You see, we get to be a part of this story. We get to choose to say, Jesus, I want to follow you by faith. And I want to be a part of your story. Often, though, I don't think we see ourselves in the same story which we read. Have you ever read the Bible and said, well, like, that was great for the way God worked in the Bible. But, like, it certainly doesn't seem like he works that way in my life. Like, I, I think we count ourselves out of this story because we read things like this. We read stories about uh, guys like Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. Like, here's a guy that was so holy, walked so wholeheartedly with God. Like, God said, like, I'm not even going to let him experience death. I'm just going to take him up to heaven. It's like, when we look at that, I'm like, I think I'm doing okay in my sin life and serving God and obedience. Like, like I'm certainly not a person that God's going to take to heaven without dying. Like, I'm not that good, right? Like, and, and so we don't see ourselves in that. And then we go to the next person. It says, by faith, Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. You know, if <clears throat> you had never seen rain before, and God tells you this thing's going to happen, that the heavens are going to open. And instead of water coming up from springs in the ground, it's going to come down from the sky. And it's going to be so much so that you need a boat to save your family. And you spend 100 years building that boat. I'd be like, God, I'll give you six months. But after that, I'm tapping out. I don't have enough faith for 100 years, right? Like, and so we don't see ourselves in the same story. It's by faith Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave his own country. Move somewhere else and start something that God wanted to do with his people. And it starts talking about Isaac and Jacob and the different things that they went through. It says it was by faith Joseph when he was about to die. Joseph, after everything he went through in his life. You know, Joseph, Technicolor Dreamcoat, Prince of Egypt. Uh, the guy that his brothers sold him as slaves. He goes to jail for false accusations. Then in jail, he helps two guys. They forget about him. Then finally, when someone needs him, he gets called into Pharaoh's court. 
Like, if anyone had an opportunity to be like, God, like, I kind of feel like I got a raw deal in life. Joseph would be, like, kind of top candidate. Like, you made all these promises, but I had to go through all of this stuff before I got there. But then he becomes the second most powerful man in the known world. And when he dies, he says, you know what? God brought me to this place, but it's not enough. Something's going to happen beyond this. And he actually commands them when they leave Egypt. He knows that his family, the story wasn't over, that they're going further with God. And he says, when you go to that promise, bring my bones with you. And I'm like, God, I struggle about telling my kids that God loves them and has plans for their life and, and, and teaching them about Jesus day in and day out, let alone have faith on my dead be- deathbed to say, this is what's going to happen in the future and this is what I want you to do. And then, and then in Hebrews 11, it, it says this. It says, it was by faith that the people of Israel went through the Red Sea. Like, I mean, if we went to Waldman, it was like, everybody walk together. And when Pastor Brett, you know, drops his mic in the water, we're going to walk through. You guys would be like, I'm looking for a new church. <laughs> it's just too much. You can't write this stuff. Well, God did. So it says it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute didn't die with all the others in a city who refused to obey God. In a city who they went to and they said, does anybody want to follow Jesus' surrender? They find a prostitute. And that's it. And God turns her story to actually be one of the women in the genealogy of Jesus himself. So when God writes the story... Amazing things happen, and it says this, well, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. I mean, Gideon was hiding in a hole, and God comes and calls him a mighty man of valor. And see, now that I can relate to. I'm calling you to do this. God, I don't want to do that, right? Like, I I really don't want to. Then the, the next guy on the list is Barak. Barak was like a commander of an army, And this prophetess, Deborah, says, I believe that God has given the enemy to your hands and you need to go. And this man, this man of God says, I'll go if you come with me. Says to this lady, I'm too afraid to go alone. And then God says, okay, I will deliver you at the hands of a woman. Praise God for mighty men and women of God who lead people into God's battles. But here's Barak. And guys, here's a side note. We can't abdicate to our spouse all the time to let them lead in the ways of God. There are things God's called us to do. We're a team with our spouse, but we need to take leadership, and we need to step out when God asks us to. But I still have days where my wife says, you know you're supposed to be doing this. And I was like, yes, I know. Thank you for loving me. (laughs) I'll be a better leader tomorrow. And then he talks about Samson and Jephthah. And all of these other people, David and Samuel and all the prophets. says their weakness was turned to strength and they became strong in battle and they put whole armies to flight. But often when we think about the art of the story of God, we exclude ourselves from it because we don't think we're like these people. But I would argue today that you're more like them than you think. The story of God is greater than you think because When we read things like this, it can leave us feeling like, I don't have that kind of faith. I could never be a part of something like that. But guess what? When we read verse 39 and 40 in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer actually says this. God has not let them enter the fulfillment of faith or the prize at the end of the race until we get there with them. 
And it tells us that all of heaven and all of these prophets and prophetesses and leaders of the Bible are waiting for us to finish our race in the story of God so we can celebrate together at the culmination of what God's story is. And Jesus will come back one day to bookend that story. But until then, we are the characters left in it. And we have a choice of how we will walk and how we will live day in and day out by faith. In Hebrews, it says all these people earned their good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God promised, for he had something better in mind for us so they would not reach perfection without us. The message says this, not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were ex- exemplary, they didn't get their hands on what God promised. God had a better plan for us, that their faith and our faith would come together and make one completed whole. Their lives of faith are not complete apart from ours. You see, sometimes I think as new believers in the church, we think we kind of got the raw deal. They saw miracles. They saw fire come down from heaven. They saw this. They saw that. But Jesus even said in his teaching, man, if they saw what you saw, their faith would have been so much greater. Like God said, he had something better for us. The, 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 the picture of looking back and the, the things that we learn from their stories and the, the picture of Jesus and who he is, it actually shows that God is doing something greater now than he was then. And it's hard to wrap our minds around because we're looking for the big things. We're looking for the big miracles. And they'll come. And I believe they'll happen. But I believe more often than not, sometimes we're looking at all these people And we think that it was only that one great act of faith, but need I remind you, like I said about Gideon, he was hiding in a hole from the enemy, and it took an angel of God to encourage him to be who he was called to be. A guy like Abraham had to leave the unbelief of his own family's household to get separate and apart with God. And then even in their barrenness for him and Sarah, when they wanted a child, God promised them descendants like the stars. And God, in this imagery of Hebrew art, starts showing up all throughout the page of Scripture. And he says, look at the stars, count them, so will be your descendants. It's like, God, we can't even have one baby. But if that's what you said, I'll obey. I'll be obedient. I'll trust you. We go to other situations where David, a shepherd boy, he simply comes in from the field and gets anointed to be a king. And we're like, yeah, and then he defeated Goliath and became king. No. He went back into the field alone by himself, walking with Jesus, walking with God by himself till he killed Goliath. And then he served another king who tried to kill him for a number of years. And he went through some stuff, but he chose to make subtle decisions of obedience to honor God and honor the people in his life till he got to the place where God called him to be. See, your great work of faith, the picture that your life will show, will always start with the subtle acts of obedience as you follow Jesus. And sometimes I think people will look at you and me and think that we have this great faith and and you're like, I'm no one special, I'm just trying to do what God asked me to do. You see, Jesus led and taught through stories because there's something powerful about story. Yes, it was a part of the Hebrew culture of his day, but when Jesus started likening the kingdom of God unto the things of this world, 
when he started to identify that the things that my father is trying to do, it's like when you're farming. It's like when you do this. It's like when you have a son. It's like when you lose your sheep. It's like when you lose that valuable gold coin in your life. And this is what my father feels like when it comes to you. And Jesus just kept inviting people back in through him to the story of God. And saying, you don't have to write your own story anymore. You can do it a different way. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, right in this whole story of this farmer who's sowing seed and this is how the seed fell here and this is how it fell there and this is what happened in this situation and this is what happened in that situation. Jesus says this in the middle of this. And it's kind of this weird statement because Jesus is telling a story about a farmer and a seed and before he gives them the meaning of that story, he says, I tell you the truth that many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. They longed to hear about what God is doing the way you're hearing about what God is doing, but they never got to hear it. And church, that should spur our faith. That should give us strength tomorrow and the next day and the next day to say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm trusting that you're writing my story and I'm a part of your story and you're going to use what happens in my life for your good and for my benefit. But not everything feels good and not everything works out the way we want it to at times. But faith says, God, I'll still be simply and subtly obedient to you and what you want to lead me in. See, our step into this story requires faith. If you're here this morning and you've never had a relationship with Jesus, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end. Because God wants to invite you in to a story of relationship with him that will change everything for you. But for those of us that have made that decision to step into God's story, it took faith to believe that if I surrender my sin, my shame, my guilt to Jesus, that he will take it, he will wash me clean, and now I have right standing with God. That takes faith to believe that. And some of us, we have such great faith to believe we're going to heaven and we have a relationship with Jesus, but we struggle with faith to take the step that God will ask us to make tomorrow. Because it might cost us a bit of money or it might cost us a bit of time or, or whatever it is. But our subtle obedience is what's going to lead us into great faith. You see, when we accept this invitation, we aren't writing our own story anymore. When we accept the invitation to enter back into the story of God and say, God, I'm going to let you write my story. He's going to start asking you to do some things. For others, for him. It'll change the way you think, the way you live. And, and we, what we do is we say, Jesus, I'm handing you the pen. And yes, I have free will, but I trust that you're going to write something better than I could have done on my own. And there will be days you're like, God, I don't know what you're writing or what this is, what's going to happen. Because I don't see it. But I want you to know this morning, church, that you can trust him. See, the subtle art of living by faith is learning to trust Jesus with the story of our lives. You see, when we walk in the story of God, we are actually trusting Jesus to finish it to the end. He's going to finish it to the end for our benefit and for the benefit of others. Because what we understand now is that our eyes are open and we actually live in the story of God, not the story of Jeremy. Not the story of me. Because some of us have lived in the story of me and we've made a mess of things. And we find ourselves in brokenness and hurt and pain. But I'm here to tell you this morning and remind you of a few things. 
The first thing I want to remind you of this morning is that no matter where you're at or what pain or brokenness or what hurt you're in, or maybe you're in a really good place and maybe you think I'm a self-made man and I got there on my own. No, you didn't. God created you with gifts, talents, and abilities, and if you learned to steward those well, good for you. But you would be far more effective if you did it with Jesus' direction. But the story, number one this morning, the, the first thing that I want to remind you of is this, is the story is far from over when we're willing to give Jesus the pen. You might feel like, I don't know what's going to happen next week in my relationship, in my finances. I don't know what is happening with my kids right now, but God... I don't know what's going to happen when the next chapter starts. Maybe you're here this morning and you've loved this church and you've loved the community found and you're like, God, what's going to happen next week and next month as the page turns? And I can tell you this, I don't know. But all I know is that sometimes when God has been writing a story over there and he's been writing a story over here, sometimes in literature, stories start crossing paths and a fuller picture becomes noticeable and we start doing bigger and greater things and things that we thought were lost get restored and things that were too difficult for us on our own become possible because of what God's doing and the strength that we have and what we need to understand this morning that no matter where we're at today, the story is far from over if we would just give Jesus the pen. And it's one of the most fearful acts of surrender you will probably make in your life to say, God, I wanted to get here and I wanted to do this. But guess what? If you want to write something different, here you go. And I will subtly follow you with faith and obedience, believing that what you write will be better than what I could write on my own. You see, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, is what the New King James says. Some of you today, you feel like my faith is at its end. I know I started and I had some faith and something was happening, but I'm here this morning to tell you that Jesus will not give up on you. He wants to finish your walk of faith if you would just hand him the pen. If you would just say, Jesus, I, I took it back for a while and I've been... I know I've been writing some things that haven't helped me, but God, here's a fresh surrender, and I want to come back to you. And the reason I can tell you he can write a new chapter in your story is because he already wrote the finishing one. I believe that Jesus can write a new chapter in your story because the word says that on the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he said, it is finished. And he wrote the ending. He wrote the ending in victory and purpose and strength. And when we give our lives to Jesus and when we follow him in faith, we can trust him for the next chapter of our story because he has already told us the ending. So we have to be willing to give him back the pen. If you're here this morning, just hear that. Your story is far from over if you're willing by faith to give Jesus the pen. And number two this morning as the musicians come back up. I want to tell you and remind you that the story is far from boring when we take subtle steps of faith. <laughs> I've met people that are like, well, if I give my life to Jesus and I start going to church, like, won't my life be boring? I won't do this anymore, won't do that anymore, won't do this anymore. And I'm thinking, well, if I told you the things God's going to start asking you to do, you would think I'm crazy. But I can tell you one thing. Being in church since a 
few days after I was born, and honestly, you can probably count on my two hands the amount of Sundays I missed outside of being sick or on holidays. Walking with Jesus is anything but boring. Not always easy, but anything but boring. You see, we all deal with change differently, and it's not always easy. And this morning, I want to just close. I'm going to share a few things with you that maybe you don't know about my story. Five years ago, I stepped away from a position in a large church with a great youth ministry and a lot of comforts, actually, because I believed that God wanted to write something new for our story, and we were called to do something different. But what I didn't know was that step of faith and that step of obedience would lead me into some things that I can honestly say today have made me a better man and a better leader, but at the time, I was kind of like, God, what are you doing? I remember on my last Sunday, people saying to me, man, you have so much faith, and I wish I had the kind of faith that you have to just step out and trust God and believe for what's next, and in my heart, I'm like saying, God, I wish I had the faith that they think I have, because I'm just trying to be obedient to you. See, that step of faith led to a year of unemployment, moving my family into my parents' basement because we actually sold our house in preparation to move out of Edmonton and ended up living with my parents for 14 months. And that took very great faith on my wife's behalf. No, our family's great. We love each other. And it was so awesome that we could live that way with my family. I tried to get other jobs in the interim because... I knew we were gonna help with some sort of church leadership or transition, and I honestly, we believed it would be on the West Coast, and we had options come up that weren't there, and we actually had to step away from them, and all I did for a year to make any money was contract funerals. When you do 43 funerals in one year, and make small honorariums, you're grateful you're living in your parents' basement. And I'm like, God, this is the step of faith. This is the promise that you had. And we went to the lower mainland and we helped a church transition through a couple years of the founding pastor to the next lead pastor who is a great friend of mine. And when that transition was kind of wrapping up, there was something inside of me and a discontent. And I said, God, this is kind of done. And what am I supposed to do? And so we made another decision to come back to Edmonton. we did I was excited and full of faith and Brandy and I were going to plant a church in southwest Edmonton but we went through as many of you know a situation where we lost a child last year and for our sanity and our our grief and our wholeness we just we put the brakes on that and this community was such a big part of loving us and letting us be who we are and, and just walking alongside of us Pastor Brett and Des we're always, you can do as much as you want, but we'll never put something on you that you're not ready to do. So come around this summer, I, I started thinking, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe around Easter, maybe we're going to plant this church. Maybe we're going to do this. And then Pastor Brett comes to me one day and he says, so I got invited to go talk to some people about taking on another church. I'm like, no, I'm supposed to plant a church. And he's like, he goes, I don't know what God's doing. But he said, would you consider walking alongside of us. Would you consider this if this is what God wants to do? And 
fast forward. We don't need to talk about all the ins and outs. And here we are today, not what we ever thought. But I can tell you, church, that God is writing something that's bigger than all of us. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be great. And it's going to be far from boring. And sometimes that means it's going to put us on edge a little bit. But the Passion Translation of Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this. It says, we look away from the natural realm. And we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who will lead us forward into faith's perfection. See, God birthed something here at Engaged Church. He birthed something in you. He birthed something in me. And it is God who we will put the responsibility back on to lead us into that perfection of faith. And our job is subtle obedience and trust and grace for one another and unity and understanding that the purpose of God is so much bigger than the story of me.